you know, sometimes you just got to talk to yourself, right? And say, soul, <laughs> lift up your God. Remind yourself to praise the Lord. That's what that song is doing. Reminding ourselves to worship Him. Well, good morning. We are in Romans chapter 14, the passage that was read earlier. And uh, I'd like you to turn there, Romans chapter 14. We're going to be in the last part of this chapter. As you're turning there, I'm going to use just a, a moment for a brief commercial announcement. <laughs> last time I, I preached, I believe it was the last time I preached, I asked for a show of hands of how many people who had been listening to the podcasts. And so not as many hands went up as I would have liked. I'm not going to ask you to do that this time. Uh, but I do want to encourage you to go out online and listen to the podcast. This week, right, tomorrow, tomorrow we are uh, making available uh, a new series of podcasts that uh, Matthew Goldstein and I are working on together, and it's on intergenerational church, and I hope you're going to enjoy it. I know we are enjoying doing it, uh, enjoying uh, all that we're involved in here, and I think you'll, you'll know what I mean when you get into that. So let me encourage you to start listening to the podcast, not just the ones that Matthew and I are doing. There are a lot of them that have already are already out there, and, uh, and you will enjoy them. Uh, if you're going to ride in the car for a few minutes, a great opportunity to listen to it then, or maybe you're just going to sit back and relax for a few minutes at home, uh, sitting out on your porch or something. Whatever you have opportunity, this would be a great, uh, a great enriching time. So just wanted to encourage you to do that. So next time I get up, I'll ask for that raise of hands, all right? Romans chapter 14 and now, Romans chapter 14, verse 13, through the last part of the chapter, is obviously just a continuation of what Paul's been talking about and Pastor Sam preached on last week. And so, what I want to do is, I'm not going to re-preach Sam's sermon, uh, I, I couldn't do as good a job, I can guarantee you that, but I do want to kind of look back at some of the highlights of what he said last week, because it really speaks to this message for this week. So, some key points from Pastor Sam's message last week. First of all, he talked about this historical context of this passage. Uh, he explained to us that there was a situation here, if you look in verse 1 of chapter 14, where he refers to the weak and the strong, he says, for as... Uh, for, for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. He actually didn't refer to the strong, but it's implied. But there, there is a, a, a brother that is considered weak, and there's a brother that's considered strong. And he talked to us about what that was referring to. In those days, with the, the church was made up uh, of many Jews, and also Gentiles were being added. And so there were Jews and Gentiles, and the Jews had this background where they would uh, have to watch what they ate. There were certain foods that were clean, certain foods that were unclean. And so they had to be careful about the dietary laws. And the Gentiles were coming from uh, a pagan background where many of the things that they eat may have been offered in sacrifice to a false god. 
And so both Jews and Gentiles had dietary issues. <laughs> they were concerned about whether or not it was right to eat certain things. But there were some Christians who understood that there is no other God and so I'm not worried about eating something that happened to be sacrificed to some false god because that god's not real anyway. And so I can eat that. And there were also Christians in the, from the Jewish perspective who said, Christ has set me free. Before I had to keep all these dietary laws, but now all things are clean and so I can eat whatever I want. So that was the context that, that Sam described last week that we're speaking into, that Paul's speaking into here in this chapter. But I want you to understand a little bit of, about this idea of being strong and weak. Many of us are familiar with this passage and others that talk about this in the New Testament might be tempted to think, well, I'm strong. And brother or sister so-and-so, they're kind of weak. As if the weak is referring to some lesser uh, level of Christianity. And strong is referring to someone who is kind of higher up in their faith. Uh, one is more mature and one is less mature. Well, as we go through this passage, it's going to become clear that both the weak and the strong have some maturity issues. This is not about the maturity of your faith. It's about your background. It's about the way you interpret that. It's about the way you understand Scripture and so the weak and the strong, don't, if, you're, if you're one that considers yourself strong, don't fall into the temptation of getting a little prideful about how strong you are and looking down on those who you consider weak. Because guess what? Then you're committing sin. And so Paul is going to address both sides of this issue. Now that's the historical context part of Pastor Sam's message. Then he talked about a timeless concept, and this timeless concept is the timeless concept of love, and if you look back in chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 9, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. This timeless concept of love that Love is supposed to guide us in all that we do. In chapter 13, he talks about it again in verse 10. Chapter 13, verse 10, if I can find it here, here it is. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to fulfill the law because you're going to treat your neighbor as you ought to treat them. That's what love is does. And so that timeless concept of love is going to guide us through this passage of Scripture. And then lastly, he brought us to a modern application, a modern application of this. Most of us are not dealing with the Jewish dietary laws today, right? Anybody in here dealing with Jewish dietary laws? We can talk afterwards if you like. Most of us are probably also not too worried about whether or not the steak we bought at Kroger was previously offered in some pagan temple before it ended up on our counter, right? That's not happening. So what is the application? What's the modern application? Well, Pastor Sam brought us some modern applications, and he talked about things like 
preferences. We prefer one thing over another. I, uh, I've, I've got to tell you, I saw pastor before, and he's preaching over in the hub right now. And you may have noticed if you were in here during uh, the equipping class, he taught the equipping class in this room, he had a suit and tie on. And if you've noticed over the last several years, he doesn't often wear a tie, but he's wearing a suit and tie, and he's wearing a suit and tie over in the hub, which is interesting. I'll let you draw your own conclusion. But I, I started thinking about that. He's wearing a, he, made, he was referring to that, that he's, he's talking about this same passage over there. And in, he's purposely wearing a suit and tie over in the hub. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I ought to preach without a jacket. <laughs> Let's see how that goes, you know. But I didn't. You know, I just didn't have enough bravery to step out and do that. But, you know, there are certain preferences. Sometimes we'll, we'll think, well, you know, a person ought to dress a certain way when they go to church. A preacher ought to wear certain things. Or we might have preferences about worship style. What type of music is sung? It ought to be hymns or it ought to be worship songs. Maybe it ought to be a band or it ought to be a choir. Those are preferences. It might be about personality. Maybe somebody just rubs you the wrong way and they're a Christian. What do you do with that? You know? They just, maybe they came from a different part of the country than you came from, or they have an accent that you don't particularly care for. It could be personality. It also could be politics. There was that hot button that Pastor Sam stepped on all of our toes last week. Do all Christians have to agree on every issue? Do we let a party tell us as Christians what we ought to believe and what we shouldn't believe? Or are we guided by the Word of God? Well, we should be guided by the word of God, right? So these are the types of issues that Romans chapter 14 is speaking into. Now, so far, all I've done is go through the introduction. We're working on getting into the passage, okay? The passage that we have before us today begins in verse 13. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read it again, having just kind of reviewed what came before, I'd like to, to read this again and work our way through it. So beginning in verse 13 of chapter 14, he says, Therefore, now that reason I went through all this review was because of this word, therefore. You know what you want to do with you find the word therefore. You want to see what it's there for. So that it's there for the things that we just talked about. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, 
destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So the title of the message this morning is Love, excuse me, Liberty Tempered by Love. Liberty tempered by love. That's what we're talking about. Passage, this passage is talking about liberty. Liberty that you have in Christ to do things that God has not commanded you not to do. But maybe, maybe they were offensive to you or to someone else. These are things that are uh, not commanded, but things that might come down to wisdom issues or, most importantly, love issues. So, starting this passage off, we start off with two commands. Two commands. One comes from the previous 12 verses and kind of adds on to this section, and then the other proceeds from that. So, the first command is this, verse 12, verse 13, rather. He says, do not... Let me just read it. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So we're not to pass judgment. We're not to, to judge one another. What do we mean by judging one another? Well, you know what? I've heard this question asked before. What's the most quoted Bible verse in America today? And you might say John 3.16, but some would say that it's actually... Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, Judge not that you are not judged. So here's Paul talking about not judging. And Jesus said that we're not to judge. So what did he mean by that? Well, if you read the rest of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Beginning in verse 2, he says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First... Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So let me just take just a moment to talk about what Jesus meant by judging in this passage. He's not saying that we should not judge sin. He's not saying that we should not confront sin. But what he is saying is don't be a hypocrite. Don't judge others for things that you are doing yourself. Before you look at someone else and try to straighten their life out, you better look at the log in your own eye. 
That's what he's saying. The reason I point this out is because we are in a church who we try to do everything as biblically as we possibly can. And sometimes, from time to time, we have, and we probably will in the future, exercise church discipline. And people would say, well, you can't do that. That's judging. Well, if something is clear in Scripture and a brother or sister is caught up in that sin, it is our responsibility to step into their life and try to help them. This is what Paul said about it in Galatians chapter 6. He said, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, we have to deal with sin. If someone has sinned against you, what did Jesus say to do? Go to that person and tell them what they have done. And the idea is not to beat them down over their sin. The idea is to produce restoration in the relationship. Reconciliation. That is the idea of judging sin in that context. What Paul's talking about is not that kind of judgment. Jesus talked about not judging hypocritically. Paul is talking about judging hypercritically. This is the type of person that finds fault with everything. Don't like the way the preacher wore a jacket or didn't wear a jacket. I don't like the way that person spoke to me in church. I don't like the style of music they sing. I don't like, and just fill in the blank. It's that hypercritical judgment. And this is what Paul is addressing. Yes, he's talking specifically about the issue of food, of diet, and he also mentions days. You may remember Pastor Sam referring to diet and days last week, whether they should keep certain days or not keep certain days. But the principle goes beyond those specifics. So this is what Paul is warning us against. One, he gives us this command, do not pass judgment. The second command he gives us in verse 13 is that we are to decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Not only are we not to judge, but we're not to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of our brother. What is a stumbling block? Well, literally it means a stub. Now, many of you know that I, I have a business, I'm a drywall contractor. And one of the things I've learned over the years is to be careful about what we would call a fall hazard. You have cords running across the floor and two-befores laying over here and, and some guy walking around on stilts so he can reach the ceiling. Those are called fall hazards. And you're just asking for trouble. And the insurance guys do not like that stuff. If you have a, a place where somebody could step off, you want to have a protection there, you know, to make sure nobody's going to fall. Well, this is the idea of, 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 a, of a stumbling block, something that a person could stumble over. They might just be walking through life and they're not paying attention and they catch their toe on something and they're on the ground. And that is the type of thing that happens sometimes in the body of Christ. Someone feels they have liberty to do something and... Maybe scripturally they do have liberty, but because they, they're overconfident in this liberty, liberty and they're not thinking about the lives of others, someone who is weaker in the faith might stumble over what they do. 
stumble into sin. The other word is, it's translated in our ESV, a hindrance in the way of a brother. The, The Greek word is the word scandalon. You know what English word we get that from? Scandal. A scandalon. And actually what a scandalon is, is a snare. It's the idea, you've seen uh, where somebody would take a a young sapling and bend it over with a rope and they put a a snare and an animal walks by and gets their foot caught in that rope, you know, and they're, they're snared in the catch. That's the idea, something that would snare somebody, to, to catch them and snare them and pull them into sin. He's saying, Christian brothers and sisters, we are not only not to judge this hypercritical judging, but we're also not to lay a trap or something our brother and sister could fall over by the liberties that we are exercising if we're not careful. We must care for one another. So, in this passage, the rest of the passage, I want to share with you two principles, one perspective, and one overarching precept. Two principles, one perspective, and one overarching precept. First of all, principle number one. Principle number one is the principle of truth and conscience. Look in verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. This is the principle of truth and conscience. Now the truth is, Paul says, and he's talking about food here, he's not talking about things that God has commanded us not to do. This is not a a blank check for us to decide what is right and what is wrong. God defines that. But there are things which God does not speak about. There are things that the Word of God does not tell us whether it's right or wrong, and we're not quite sure. Should I do that? Should I not? Should I celebrate Halloween or shouldn't I? Should I go to church on Saturday because actually that's the Sabbath or should I go to church on Sunday? So there are certain things that that the New Testament is not clear on and we're going to have these questions about. So Paul is saying nothing like this, nothing in this category is unclean in itself. So he's agreeing with the stronger brothers. The stronger brothers and sisters who say, I can eat that meat. It's not going to hurt me. I'm going to thank the Lord for it, and I'm going to enjoy that bacon. Imagine if the Lord told you you had to give up bacon. I'm just so thankful. So thankful that all food is clean now. Amen. Yeah. I know whenever we have a men's breakfast, all we've got to do is put a picture of bacon up there, and that says it all. But nothing is unclean in itself. Paul's saying it's been declared clean. But if someone thinks it's unclean, then it's unclean. It's unclean to that person. If they in their conscience cannot do that thing, then that would be sin 
for them to do it. It is always sin to violate your conscience. Now, it may be that your conscience needs to be informed about more things. And you may grow in your relationship with Christ where one thing that was a problem for you in the past is not a problem for you now. I, I can tell you, I know if I could name them, I'm not going to, <laughs> but I could name several things that I used to have a problem with several years ago that not an issue anymore because of my understanding in the Word of God and how it's grown. But whether it does or not, there are things in this category that this principle of truth and conscience. There is a truth, but my conscience may not fully be able to grasp that truth, and therefore I can't go there. Principle number two. It's the principle of love and conscience. Look in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So there's something that you know scripturally, and you can prove it, that you're allowed to do as a Christian and not be disobeying God. And yet, you have a weaker brother or sister who does not understand that the way that you do. What do you do? Well, you defer through love. Love trumps truth in this case. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that love just does away with truth. But some things that are in this category, I'm not talking about commands of God, okay? Adultery is still wrong. Stealing is still wrong. I'm talking about those things about which Christians disagree, biblically have different points of view on. Love has to trump truth. Now, there are the two principles. And that out of those two principles grows this perspective. A perspective, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So, first thing that I want us to derive from this is that the kingdom of God is not about our rights or our liberties. The kingdom of God is not about our rights and liberties. You may say, well, I'm a Christian. I've been saved by grace, not by works. And I understand what the scripture says, and I can do this thing. Now, just for the sake of illustration, I might add some things that for you, most everybody in this room wouldn't be an issue. But years ago, they might have been an issue in a church like this. 
whether or not you go to movies. Any of you remember it being a problem for a Christian to go to a movie? Whether or not you play cards. I grew up playing cards. Played rummy all the time. Used to play poker with my brother and we would use matchsticks for the money, you know. We didn't buy poker chips. Oh yeah, preacher standing on the platform saying he played poker. (laughs) Things like that. Things like that. But I have been in situations where I was actively playing cards with family members when we had opportunity, but I went to church with brothers and sisters that believed that card playing was of the devil. Did I ever invite them over to my house and break out a deck of cards and say, hey guys, let's play five card stud. (laughs) Here's some matchsticks. No, we're not going to do that. Did I have the liberty to play cards? Absolutely, I had the liberty to play cards. But would it have been loving for my brother or my sister who believed because of everything that had been ingrained in them? And they were truly Christians, but they believed that that was wrong, that was evil. Would it would right of me to do that? Absolutely not. So the kingdom of God is not about your rights and liberties. Secondly, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes we've just got to get a little perspective on this thing. You belong to Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian today, you've been born again. You don't belong to yourself anymore. One of our problems as American Christians is we blur the lines sometimes between our citizenship in America and our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And we almost think that we have a bill of rights as Christians. We have a constitution. I have the right to do this. I have the liberties to do that. Nobody's going to infringe on my rights. Those are two different worlds, folks. Two different worlds. You may have rights, but what is more important than your rights is your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Didn't hear a lot of amens. That's okay, but I'm hoping you're amening in your heart. Because that's just the truth. You belong to Christ. You are bought with a price. He purchased you with His own blood. You are not your own anymore. So get this American version of Christianity that makes it all about you. Get that out of your head. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. Matter of fact, it's not at all about me. It's about Jesus. And if I'm going to honor Jesus... I've got to get a right perspective on this thing. Third part of this perspective. Because the kingdom of God is not about your rights and liberties, because the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, therefore, those who live in this kingdom are to pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. You know, I've told this 
illustration before, and I, I just have to tell it again. So if you've heard it, please forgive me. But I, I, years ago, my wife and I felt like the Lord was, was calling us to plant churches. And we did end up planting a church in Middle Tennessee. But prior to that, we thought we were going to Vermont. And we were raising, trying to raise support. So we went around to different churches and I preached and, you know, deputation, they called it. And so I was at a church in uh, southern Middle Tennessee. And the pastor was telling me about a church that he knew, across, uh, knew about across the Alabama line. And he said it was a, uh, a, a Baptist church and they were growing God was blessing, people were getting saved, and great things were happening. And so they needed to build a new building. And they started talking about the building, and they started talking about what they wanted in the building and how they wanted the building to look. At, look. And, and somebody thought, you know, it looked great with red brick. And then there was another group that said, you know, we prefer white brick. And at first it was just a little disagreement. Then it kind of grew and grew and grew. And eventually there were the red brick people, and there were the white brick people. And they're in the middle of building this building. Well, there was a split. And so the, and I can't remember which was which, but which, whichever one stayed there, so the red brick people stayed there and finished their building and did the red brick. The white brick people went down the road, started another church, and it grew, and they eventually built a white brick church. And so in this town, there was a red brick Baptist church and a white brick Baptist church. They split over the color of the brick. Now, I, you know, this pastor told me the story. I've never been to the town. I don't know if it really happened. But it, it illustrates a point. All of us, if you've been a Baptist for any length of time, we know stories like that. Churches that split. <laughs> Longtime Baptist sitting right back there. Amen corner, John McClellan. But he's right. He's right. I mean, let's just be honest. We're Baptists. Let's just... This is it, you know, splitting over silly things. And, and sometimes it's not as silly as the color of the brick. Sometimes it's something else. But it's non-essentials. Non-essentials usually is what we split over, what we fight over. What if the red brick people and the white brick people had understood these principles of the kingdom? What if they had understood that it wasn't about their rights and liberties? What, what if they had understood that it was more about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? You see, if we just understood those things, some of the problems we have in churches would just vanish. If we would just have the right perspective, what's this thing about? Folks, we carry the message that transforms people from dead to alive. We carry the most important message. We represent the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. How can we fight over silly things when we represent the king who saves people and changes their destiny from hell to heaven? And here we are fighting about carpet or whatever. We need to understand this perspective. Get a perspective. 
We are responsible, folks, for one another. How many people have you met who have a bad taste in their mouth for church because they were in a church that had this kind of stuff going on? They got hurt in church, and they're not in church now. Well, aren't those believers that hurt them really proud of themselves? May that never be at West Point. Please understand, this has eternal consequences. Paul explained this to the Corinthian believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He writes this, beginning in verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol has any real, no real existence. And that there is no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven or in earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. And from whom all are, are all things, and from for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. That's true. That's a true statement. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And in their conscience, being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we eat and no better off if we do. If we do not eat or if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block, a scandal on to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Can you imagine? If you had to say, I'd never eat bacon again to keep my brother from stumbling. Be hard. <laughs> but folks, that's what Paul is saying. I am going to relinquish my rights for the good of my brother in Christ because I am not a lone Christian. Lone Ranger Christian. There is no such thing. I have responsibilities to my other brothers and sisters in Christ. And my other brothers and sisters in Christ have responsibilities to me. We belong to Christ, but guess what? We also belong to one another. We're a family. And we need to act like it. We need to love like it. One overarching precept. It's the law of love. The law of love. Folks, if you can't do it showing love to your brother, don't do it. 
Remember what he said in Romans 12, 9? He said, let love be genuine. What is something that is genuine? It's real. It's sincere. It's the true thing. It's, it's actual. Let your love be genuine. What is genuine love? Well, Jesus said, by, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. John 13, 35. And John, the Apostle John, wrote this in, in his book, 1 John. He said, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, it's not enough to sit here on Sunday morning and say, I love my brothers, I love my sisters. What are you doing about it? How does that show up in the way you act? How does it show up in the way you treat each other? The way you forgive each other? How does it show up in you asserting your rights or deferring your rights? You see, that's really going to prove whether or not your love is genuine. Paul said, let your love be genuine. Do you have the real deal? Or is it just in word only? You see, we do have liberties in Christ. Hallelujah, we do. We're not under the bondage of the law. But if by my liberty I hurt my brother, then I need to make sure I'm tempering my liberty with love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for your word. How sufficient it is. These words that were written nearly 2,000 years ago are as current as they can possibly be. The issues might have been different in that culture than they are today in 2023, Knoxville, Tennessee, United States of America, at West Park Baptist Church. But the principles are timeless. Father, I pray that we would be a loving people. That we would not just love with our mouths. That we would not put on some kind of a fake smile. And just pretend like we love our brothers and then act differently when no one's looking. But that Lord, we would let our love be genuine. That we would live lives. That when people who don't know Christ, look at West Park. They would do exactly what Jesus said. They would know that we're His disciples because of the love that we have for one another. That it would be evident. You can't see love, but you can see the action that love produces. Lord, let us be people of action. Father, help us to not be selfish. 
And Lord, I pray that during this time you would speak to our hearts. If there's something in particular that you, your Holy Spirit would just deal with that matter with each one of us, blind spots that we may have. And Father, that you bring us to a right understanding and a true repentance over sin if we've committed it. Lord, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.